All right, welcome back everybody to episode four of the third season of the Building Lifelong Athletes podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Arnicke. Thanks so much for stopping by, I really appreciate it. Today we're gonna talk about hyaluronic acid. We're gonna talk about what it's like as an injection, what are the indications for it, and when I think it'd be appropriate to use this. So let's get started. First and foremost, we're gonna kind of review just a little bit here. We're gonna talk about the action of hyaluronic acid. So action meanings like how is it working? So essentially what happens is hyaluronic acid or hyaluronate is a main component of cartilage and synovial fluid. So inside this cartilage and synovial fluid, we have this hyaluronic acid. It's naturally there. But instead on top of that, it's not just there, it also gives us the viscoelastic properties um, to the cartilage and also so it helps with shock absorption. It also helps in terms of, it's a component of the synovial fluid, so it helps with lubrication and cartilage protection. So overall, going to find it in our cartilage and the synovial fluid helps with you know the shock absorbing properties of the cartilage and the lubrication of the cartilage as well hyaluronic acid is intended to restore these mechanical properties of the cartilage and synovial fluid like i said it is found natively in our joints you know this hyaluronic acid but we're giving a synthetic version of that right so the idea is that we're trying to give trying to give back some of these mechanical properties trying to get you know some of the spring back in our step here essentially in the knee we're trying to get some of that um, improved lubrication potentially maybe potentially increasing some of the viscoelastic property. So that's what we're looking for. The idea is that it binds to joint specific receptors and acts in an anti-inflammatory role, an antioxidant role, and also may increase the cartilage cell proliferation. And also may provide some direct analgesia by masking joint nociceptors. So nociceptors are kind of our nerve endings for pain. And so this may work in multiple avenues. So it may have a little bit of anti-inflammatory, maybe a little antioxidant, maybe it increases the cartilage proliferation, and maybe it actually increases the you know, the masking of the nociceptor, so decreasing our perception of pain inside the joint. So might have a couple ways of working. And then they also, you know, one of the ideas is that when we do this, when we inject hyaluronic acid, it actually may increase native hyaluronic acid production inside the joint. And so that might maybe one of the reasons why it has some more prolonged success. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that our hope is that when we inject this hyaluronic acid, it may trigger your body to be like, oh, like, okay, I should make more of that. Like I said, this is not like definitive by any stretch of the imagination, but these are different mechanisms we've seen in laboratory studies to think, okay, this might be something that might have be playing some sort of role. So hopefully we have all these good things like anti-inflammatory properties. Maybe we're helping our body make some more hyaluronic acid. Long story short, we know that hyaluronic acid is native there. And so we're trying to replace some of that. And in arthritis, which is the pretty much only indication for hyaluronic acid, we do see a hyaluronic acid deficiency. And this is both in a quantitative and qualitative sense, meaning you know the quality of it and the number of it. So for example, the normal, normal molecular weight of hyaluronic acid in a healthy joint is like four to five millidaltons. So like I said, it's a super small measurement, but four to five millidaltons. And we're in arthritis, it's about two to four millidaltons inside the joint. So we're not having as robust of hyaluronic acid and we're not having as many. And so like I said, when we see that, inside an arthritic joint, we have a diminished quality of the hyaluronic acid. That's where like the impetus comes for, okay, maybe if we inject this medication, maybe we'll improve the arthritis. And so that's kind of the idea behind it. And there are multiple different types of hyaluronic acid, right? And so, you know, if you've ever been anywhere in the orthopedic world, or if you work in orthopedics, you'll know there's, you know, 10 different injections you can pick for hyaluronic acid. And, you know, people will market you that theirs is superior in this, for this reason, for that reason, whatever. We'll go through some, some of those things. But what it breaks down to is essentially a low molecular weight ones and then reticulated or higher molecular weight um, uh, hyaluronic acid. So when we start with like the lower molecular weights, these are ones ranging from like 0.5 to 3 millidaltons. And typically these are ones they, they usually require multiple injections. So in terms of just giving one and done, these are not the instance for that. A lot of times they're multiple ones. Some brand names that I will include here just because it's important to know like what the brand names are because you know they're all hyaluronic acid, right? And so, but there are some differences here. 
and there's no generics that I'm aware of. And so ones we think about are Euflexa, Hyalgan, and Orthovix for these low molecular weight ones that are multiple injections. And there is one single injection one called Arthrum Monodose. And like I said, I have not seen that run across it, but it is an option, but the majority of these are multi-dose. And so when we move up to the reticulated hyaluronic acid, reticulate is just another fancy word for essentially higher molecular weight. And these are the ones that are greater than three millidaltons. And so what the idea behind here is a higher molecular weight, it has a slower degradation and potentially lives longer, has a longer joint residence. So it's staying around longer. That's the general idea. The ones we see here are typically things like Monovis, Synvisc, Synvisc-1, and Duralane. And it's like, those are kind of the main ones here. So once again, that low molecular weight versus high molecular weight, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but those are the big, you know, kind of categories you think about. In terms of the actual injection itself, obviously the indications for this are intra-articular, right? There are some other fringe uses for it that I've been starting to see in other places, but they're not really mainstream yet. So I'm not going to talk about it here. But the main indication is that we should have is intra-articular, meaning inside the joint. So the vast majority of the time this is going in the knee, but it can be used in other joints as well. That being said, when we inject, it's super important. I've talked about this before. When we are injecting something, it's super important that we know where the medication is going, right? So if I'm injecting something into the knee, I really want it to be going into the knee. And unfortunately, about 10 to even 30% of injections that are landmark-based can be defective, meaning they don't get where they need to go. And so that's why, once again, I am such a strong advocate of ultrasound-guided injections, if at all possible, like I said, or if you have an experienced clinician, um, like I said, those tend to have really, really good results as well, even landmark-based. But if you just have the run of a mill, someone who does the occasional injection here and there, um, there is a you know 10 to 30 percent chance that that's not where it needs to be. So once again, if you are seeing an orthopedic surgeon or a sports medicine specialist, you know you're probably gonna be okay with landmark. But I always prefer ultrasound if possible, just because I said that way we can see the medication going where it needs to go. If we are going to do landmark, they kind of talk about doing the lateral approach. There's a couple different lateral approaches. There's a lateral, lateral patellar, and then a superior lateral. Lateral, lateral patellar, we talked about in the specific articles that I was looking at. That's essentially going under the patella. That seems to have the best results. And then, like I said, on top of that, other literature indicate that a superior lateral approach tends to have better results as well. And like I said, in terms of these injections, those are what we were looking for in terms of location. You know, are we using ultrasound or not? And that's what we think about. And next, I do want to talk about the different locations that it can be used in terms of, you know, the location we can inject, how much we can inject and the timing of it, the timing of how many times. So we're going to start off with the knee, which is by far and away the most common. So the knee, like I said, we're injecting anywhere from two to six milliliters. Once again, these come in these pre-packaged formulas. So essentially, you have a syringe and you just add on your needle and then you inject that syringe into the joint. And so it kind of comes in prefabricated amounts anywhere from two to six for the knee. I said, these injections can be anywhere from single injections up to three injections. A lot of times they'll say they'll do series as well. They'll do three injections of one per week. So they do one, one, one week and they bring you back for another week and then bring you back again. That can happen. I'm a big fan of the single injections just because one and done. I mean, nobody wants to come back to the doctor's office three weeks in a row. That's not ideal. Nobody, nobody signed up for that, but Typically, like I said, in the knee, about two to six milliliters, you know, anywhere from a single injection or three in series. So another area we can use this is the hip. Hip is becoming more and more common. Uh, the typical amount there is about two to four milliliters. So pretty similar to the knee. And once again, you can do either a single injection or maybe two to three of that injections. The data here is more like one per month as opposed to the knee was one per week for three times. This is more like one per month for two to three times. And like I said, the data is not fantastic on any of these in terms of, oh, should it be a one time? Should it be multiple time? But like I said, it can be done. It's not insane. So if your doctor says, hey, I want to bring you back again in a month, it's not necessarily them being like, oh, I just want to give you an injection and bill for it. Like, no, that might be the 
the series or the sequence, they, they do it. So like I said, lots of different ways to do it. So additionally on top of that, we can also have the shoulder, can inject in the shoulder. Usually it's about two to four milliliters there. So like I said, we've kind of seen this range here, two to six for the knee, two to four for the hip, two to four for the shoulder. So anywhere from like two to four, you're probably gonna be pretty good. And once again, this can be either a single injection or you know once per week or once per month. So it's kind of variable here. We pretty much just goes to show you like the less and less data we have, like knee, we have the most data, like hip. And then like, as we get to the shoulder, the other ones like, ah, I, I don't know. So anywhere from one to three injections, either once a week or once a month. And then we can also, there's some data on the ankle. Ankles about two to three milliliters, so a little less. And like I said, usually they'll kind of series that once per week. And then finally, we have the metacarbophalangeal joints in the hands. And this is a small amount, anywhere from 0.5 to one ml. And usually what this is, is one to three injections once again. So the long story short is you're gonna get these in a series potentially, or you might just do it singly. So I'm kind of talking with your doctor, kind of figure out what's going on there. But like I said, as we see, the fingers are gonna have a very, very small amount. And as we go up into the larger joints, we're gonna have more amount. So like I said, it's gonna be the biggest kind of in the knee and hip and kind of going from there. So, and like I said, in the intervals of when do we administer these, right? What's the schedule? It's gonna vary. It can be anywhere from one to maybe five injections, anywhere from one to four week intervals. Like I said, that's where you go. My personal practice is using a one-time injection just because like I said, most people don't wanna come back once a week. It's hard to have access to all that. And so for me, it's just like, hey, let's just do this one and done and get it done with. So another question some people might ask is, can I mix this with a steroid? And the answer is, yeah, for short-term you can do that, but not a long-term. This is not a long-term solution, right? So if you think about mixing the steroids, sometimes some people say, hey, if there's some signs of like synovitis there or inflammation or lots of swelling, you know, we'll talk about that indication wise, but they think, hey, maybe this will help as well. And so you can do that, but long-term, we don't necessarily think that's a fantastic idea because of maybe other things we talked about, like our chondrotoxicity lecture. And one question for orthopedic colleagues that they'll kind of ask is, hey, if we do this, does this affect your surgery timing? Meaning, hey, if I get this injection, would it delay any surgery? The reason we ask this is because it's pretty common knowledge and common practice that if you get a steroid injection, the orthopedic surgeons will wait at least, you know, three months before you go have that surgery. So anywhere from like 12 to 24 weeks. And the reason is because when you get a steroid, we've talked about this previously and the mechanism of action, it kind of decreases everything, inflammation, but also your immune response. And so the concern is that if you get a steroid injection before a surgery, it may increase your risk for an infection or post-operative complications. And obviously we don't want that, it's a big deal. Does the same thing happen for hyaluronic acid? Doesn't really seem like it. So if it's just hyaluronic acid, there's no real consensus, you know, but typically people will recommend waiting about four weeks before you can have that surgery, but it does not seem to have the same consequences as having a steroid injection. So this would be one if you're like in the short term, you're like, oh, I really need something before the surgery, you could try this. Although like I said, that may or may not be any benefit, but we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. And so indications we talk about, when do we get hyaluronic acid injection? Well, like I said, the only real indication that's been approved for is osteoarthritis, which is the vast majority of the times that it's used for. On top of that though, there are a couple of different subsets of things that you should look for before you have the injection. First things first, we do not wanna have a swollen knee. So if someone comes with a huge swollen knee, that's not ideal. If it's inflamed, we should manage that first, whether that's through you know, toroidal injection, steroid injection, aspiration, you know, take an oral uh, NSAID, something like that. But we should kind of manage that before we inject it because it's, it's recommended against not to do that. On top of that, if you see signs of synovitis or inflammation of the synovial fluid and the synovium in there, that is also an indication where we do not wanna do that. Actually, that can be chondrotoxic as well, having that inflammation in there. We know like inflammation in the joints is not good, right? So that's the kind of question. It's like, okay, we have this synovitis. Do we calm it down with a NSAID, which may also be chondrotoxic? So it's once said, there's no free lunches here. We're kind of trading things off there. But if we see synovitis, we're typically not injecting hyaluronic acid as well. 
And also on top of this, there's no real data that this is preventative, meaning, hey, if I inject this, I'm gonna have a chondroprotective effect, meaning, hey, it's gonna help my cartilage and it's gonna protect me from any future injury. We just don't have data on that at all. So that wouldn't be an indication, like I said, it doesn't seem to be chondrotoxic, but we don't have evidence that it's chondroprotective. And on top of that, if someone has like ligamentous injury saying, hey, um, you know, there's some sort of meniscal pathology or the ACL or MCL, that doesn't seem to be effective as well. And it's not indicated for that. Moving on to the hip. The times we use this in the hip is when we have moderate hip arthritis without sort of a fusion, any sort of joint effusion or swelling. And then if you maybe, there's been some data showing that if you have dysplasia or femoral acetabular impingement or FAI, it might be beneficial to try this injection. But long story short, what they find is like if you're a long end, end game arthritis where you have essentially super high severity of arthritis ready for a joint replacement, there doesn't seem to be any benefit from the injection. From a shoulder perspective, once again, the theme keeps showing up here is moderate arthritis. And so you can have, you can do this with or without a rotator cuff tear. And so once again, you'll keep seeing this thing, moderate, moderate, moderate. That seems to be the, the sweet spot, right? Mild to moderate arthritis, severe arthritis, typically not as ideal. Once again, probably not gonna do anything bad, but probably won't be as beneficial. For the ankle, once again, they talk about moderate talocrural arthritis, so ankle joint arthritis without an effusion. And then potentially, if we have OCD lesions with osteochondral defects, um, that it can happen. That's a whole other podcast to talk about there, but that's essentially what's happening is an issue to the cartilage in, inside of the joint. So that might be beneficial there as well. And we move to the hand, once again, moderate thumb OA. Also, they said maybe trigger finger, which is interesting. So hyaluronic acid for trigger finger could be something to consider. I think we have a bunch of pretty effective injections for trigger fingers, so I haven't used this yet, but it's something to look into that I'll have to learn more about. In terms of results, you might be asking, okay, cool. I passed that. I've got some mild, moderate OA. I, there's no effusion there. I just want to try this. You know, I'm a good candidate. Well, what are the results? Well, the majority of the studies are in NEOA, which is, you know, probably the most debilitating in terms of the most common and most debilitating. So it's easiest to study. And about 60 to 70 patients are responders, which I'm not gonna lie. When I read that, I was a little surprised. In my practice, it's about 50-50. It seems to be like a coin flip if someone's gonna respond or not. But seeing that 60 to 70 percent of patients respond, that's pretty cool. I'm really um, kind of optimistic about that. And when compared to placebo they had about a 20 percent improvement you know and like i said we've known that when you get a placebo injection you can also improve we've seen that in the study as well so when we have a 20 percent improvement above the placebo well that makes me think that hey there's something real going on it's producing some real effect and so if you have a knee you know knee away and we get this injection i'm feeling a little more confident now that we're gonna have some good benefit from this the one thing I mentioned before saying like, oh, if you know, you can do the injection and then have surgery four weeks later, the reason that might not be advised is because it typically takes about four weeks before efficacy to start. So like you do the injection and then you wait a little bit. Like I said, with a steroid, we say, hey, this is going to probably feel better in about a week or so. But this is about four weeks where it's going to go. So you want to think about it, like give it four weeks of runway. It peaks the effect of about eight weeks, but it seems like in most of the studies, they last about six months. And so it kind of has this prolonged effect. And like we talked about, we're not sure why that is. Maybe it's because we're proliferating some chondrocytes in there. Maybe it's because we're creating our own natural hyaluronic acid. Not sure, but either way, it seems to kind of have this slow onset and then it kind of stays there for a longer time as opposed to steroid, which is quick on and then quick off. And like I said, overall, from a pain perspective, it does seem to be improved when compared to placebo, but also comparable to like oral NSAIDs. But like I said, once again, this is a better risk profile. You can't just take oral NSAIDs all day, every day. It leads to lots of issues with the stomach, kidneys, heart, stuff like that. And so this seems to be a better option, but you get similar effects of, you know, if you take ibuprofen, similar effects with this, but without the side effect profile.
in terms of compared to steroids, right? That's kind of our gold standard. We've been doing it for a long, long time. It has similar pain improvement, like I said, but lasts significantly longer. Once again, steroids work fast about in within one to three weeks, but do not last long where steroids in the studies and the head to head with hyaluronic acid, they seem to be better at two weeks, but hyaluronic acid was better at like things like eight, 12 and 26 weeks out, which kind of makes sense, right? We said that, Hey, you're going to feel better right away with a steroid. It's just like going there, knocking things down, calming it down. But long-term hyaluronic acid seems to have a little bit better. In other ones, like I said, that is the vast majority of the data is the knee. For the hip, it's kind of controversial. You know, what's better? Once again, does not seem to be countertoxic, whereas hip steroid injections seem to be. Shoulder appears to be effective as well. Ankle, mixed results, not really sure. It's a, it, like, there's not a lot of data on that. And so one question you might ask those, who responds well to this? And like I said, the overall you know answer is it's hard to tell for sure. You might be saying like, well, this is a waste of a podcast, Jordan. You're not telling me anything. Well, I'm just telling you what the data says, unfortunately. But that being said, it is very reasonable to try these things, but it's hard to say for sure if it's going to work for you. Like I said, it's worth a shot for most people in these who are the right you know candidates for it, but we're not sure. It seems like the patient who has mild to moderate arthritis seems to be a good idea for it. If it's in the knee, typically the arthritis that's femoral tibial, meaning kind of going between the thigh bone and the leg bone and not patellofemoral, so underneath the kneecap, that seems to respond a little better. And like I said, we're not quite sure. So on top of it, does it matter which type of hyaluronic acid you use? Meaning, you know, the molecular weight, is it the low molecular weight, high molecular weight? Doesn't appear to be predictive as to who's going to respond to that. Not necessarily sure. And there seems to be discordance in data everywhere. Like, oh, people responded to this, but not that. And so not quite sure. And on top of that, also data shows that one versus three injection, they kind of have similar results at six months. So once again, we talked about that sequence, right? You do it once and come back in a week, come back in a week, or the do it once, come back in a month, come back in a month. It seems that like at when you do just one injection versus the three series, it seems to be similar at six months. And so like I said, I'm not sure if it's the one, two, three every week or every month. I would imagine if you did it every month, you kind of start the clock and buy yourself some more time. But it seems like if you do the series of, you know, once every, every week for three weeks versus one injection that has similar results. And that's kind of what I've seen as well. And the million dollar question is, is this chondroprotective, right? We've kind of shown that it's not chondrotoxic, which hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's great. It's not, but is it chondroprotective? There's been some in vitro and animal studies that show there's some possible chondroprotective effects and report slower disease progression of arthritis. So when you put it in there, disease progresses slower, which is great. And the jury's still out though, because there's not a lot of human data. So like I said, once again, not necessarily sure, but does not appear to be chondrotoxic, which is great, but it's not a magic pill that's going to you know, regenerate anything. In terms of when you get it, people tolerating it, a lot of people tolerate this very, very well. Like I said, there are some avian derivatives, meaning derived from some sort of bird, you know, cell line, things like Hylgan and Synvisc, and it can potentially, potentially produce some sort of like fatigue, weakness, or reaction that seems to be mitigated. They used to be like the older derivatives. It doesn't seem to be as prevalent anymore, but it's possible. Obviously, anytime you do an injection, infection is always a risk, but it's a small risk. The main risk is kind of a painful inflammatory local reaction. About two to 6% of knee injections, there has a, some sort of local inflammatory reaction. It's not crazy awful. It's not usually some sort of inflammation at the injection site. It's usually early, not too bad, and then transit. So it comes and goes. A much smaller percentage, anywhere from one to 2% have something called a pseudoseptic presentation, like a septic arthritis is a big thing we worry about. Obviously any injection we always talk about and counsel about, Hey, this is what we look for. We need to look for, make sure we're not having a septic joint and you can occasionally have a pseudoseptic presentation, meaning that they have a lot of pain, maybe some redness and swelling that looks a lot like a septic joint. 
obviously it'd be impossible to tell it just by looking at it. So you'd still have to probably go to the emergency department, get that drain and kind of look at the fluid to figure out what it is. But the one differentiator is usually this happens within 24 hours, which would differentiate from a septic joint, which usually comes on a little bit later over a couple of days. And so something to think about. But once again, if you're like, oh, this has only happened in hour 24 as opposed to 48, so it can't be septic. I would never take that risk. Nobody would recommend you take that risk when you get that checked out, but that can be that can happen as well. So it's a very small chance of that happening. Not, not very common at all. Overall, well tolerated. And at the end of the day, like I said, how I use this is once again, we talk to our patients. When you are a patient considering injection, we'll talk about all the things. Like I said, if you have in this setting, mild to moderate arthritis, to me, this is starting to move towards the top of my list of something I would try. The more and more I learn about injections, the more and more I read and study, the more I want to protect people's joints as much as possible. I want to do the least amount of damage possible. I want to do the most amount of good for them. So like I said, when I'm comparing steroid versus this, you know, I'm going to probably lean towards this versus a steroid. The problem is that steroid injections just feel so good and people tend to get a really good response to that, but it's short term. And that's why we can ho hopefully kind of help them understand that that longer term, this seems to be better for them. That might be great. But once again, they seem safe, they seem efficacious, and they do not have that chondrotoxicity. So it's a very viable option. Obviously, it depends on what your insurance is going to cover or if you're paying out of pocket, anything like that. So obviously, there's lots of considerations. But overall, my takeaway would be worth a shot, um, no pun intended, but it's worth a shot to try if you have it. Like I said, it's relatively efficacious, it's safe. You could probably just do the one series, make sure you get the ones that's made for just the one, and then go from there and see how you do. But that would be my, rec my recommendations, and that's kind of how I practice as well. And so I thank you so much for, for watching. If you stuck with me the whole way, I really, really appreciate it. If you found this helpful, if you liked, commented, subscribed, or shared with a friend, that would mean the world to me. So thank you so much for following along with me today. I really appreciate it. Now get off your computer, go outside, have a good rest of your day. We'll see you later. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.